0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13 month program, I will personally be taking your managers through our Driving Results curriculum, which includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem solving, decision making, and team development. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, or outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that you can use immediately right after the sessions. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. We're gonna be looking today at thought leadership. Now, for most of us, we think of a thought leader as somebody who's up on the stage at a sherm conference, giving a bunch of talks. But our guest today makes the case that all of us have the potential to be thought leaders. Eva Janata founded Simply Put Strategies in 2015. Now, she provides marketing and communications consulting to North America's most recognized women entrepreneurs and leaders in the women helping women economy. She offers thought leadership, marketing, and social media strategy to women who serve women. Prior to starting SPS, Eva dabbled in professional organizing and worked as an executive assistant, then communications coordinator for Mom's Organic Market. She received her bachelor's in gender and women's studies in English literature from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County in 2012. Now, when not working, Eva can be found weightlifting, reading fantasy novels, Reading more fantasy novels, she loves creating order out of chaos and cares deeply about social justice, the environment, and the Beatles. Eva's going to talk to us today about how we, as HR professionals, can either earn that seat at the table or maximize it once we're sitting in there. Again, she builds the case that anybody can be a thought leader and she's going to show us step by step how to get that done. So let's quit talking about Eva. Let's talk to her you know what time it is, let's put that personal item under that seat in front of you, buckle that seat belt, time for us to take off.
1: Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now here is the host of our show, The Boss Builder, Mac Monroe.
0: Eva Chinato, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Mac. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm glad we could finally get together and do this. It is the new year. And with the new year comes people with resolutions, words of intention, goals, plans, dreams, all of those things. And what we're going to be talking about today is thought leadership we're going to be looking at some ways that maybe we'll have a better chance of getting a seat at that table. And once we're at the table, people will tune in and listen to us. And this is a specialty of yours. So we're fortunate to be hearing from you today. So before we talk about the topic at hand, I was hoping you could share your journey with us, your background, it's very interesting. Tell us about yourself.
2: Thank you, yes I will. So where to begin? I guess I'll begin, Well, I'll begin when I was five years old. (laughs) A quick story. Uh, I can remember uh, being out in the yard with, we had a lot of kids in our neighborhood. It was really fun. And I remember being out in the yard with some of the neighborhood boys and we were throwing a football around and it was my turn to throw. So I threw and my neighbor from across the street said to me, you throw like a girl. And that is the first time I can remember having the sense that there must be something wrong with me for being a girl. And, you know, just the words themselves, they're just a statement of fact, right? Like I identify as a girl, that's the only possible way I could throw. But I could tell from his tone of voice that he wasn't stating a fact. And he certainly wasn't paying me a compliment. He was really suggesting that there was something bad about my throwing skills, which I mean, I'm not all that athletic when it comes to anyway. So that's I I like to start there because that's the first time I remember like a really clear memory of, hmm, there must be something a little bit less about me because I'm a girl. And, you know, I think people of all genders have experiences like this when we're young, right? Like an experience where we felt like there must be something a little bit wrong with us for, for some reason that didn't maybe make any sense. And we carry these experiences forward with us. And I certainly remember, you know, going through like, school and and college. And it wasn't until I took a gender and women's studies class and started to understand, you know, these are, I started to understand that we are born into a world that has certain systems of power that are at play and those govern what we learn and how we're socialized and what makes sense to us. And that, you know, learning about like the concept of the patriarchy or the concept of Racism, just different like systems of power and oppression helped me to understand, oh, that's why that, that time when I was five playing football, that's why that had such resonance. And so to kind of move forward into my like professional background, I, I had a, a short corporate career after college. I worked for um, an organic foods company, and that job kind of fell apart for a bunch of different reasons um, that... I could go into, but suffice to say, after that, I decided I wanted to start a business and I started in communications and marketing because that was my background. But I pretty quickly realized that there was something more to it than just like marketing tactics that was really exciting to me. And I, and I found over time that what I feel really drawn to is working with women on, well, our thought leadership, but a really important part of that is kind of decoupling our identities from those kinds of experiences we have that frequently tell us that we're not enough we don't know enough we're not qualified enough you know we don't deserve to have a seat at the table yet and these experiences can really you know some of them sometimes they hold us back you know tangibly kind of in our workplaces but they often hold us back to a great extent uh internally and so I get really fired up about working with my women clients on their thought leadership, which is to say the wealth of experience and insight and knowledge they have from their years in the field and how they can turn that into tangible assets, articles, a podcast. Um, it could even be workplace memos. Like There are lots of different forms thought leadership can take, but the goal is really building a platform for these women to feel incredibly um, grounded in themselves and their experience and really confident articulating what that is and conveying it to others.
0: Well, I want to dig deeper into thought leadership because up until we started this conversation, I had a picture in my mind of what thought leadership is or was because I see it on LinkedIn and somebody says, well, I'm a thought leader on whatever the thing is. Sounds like your definition is a little bit different. So I want to dig into that, but I want to go back to the experience as a five-year-old when you threw the football like a girl. When that happened, did you find yourself more aware of it as you grew up? Did those things, did you sort of see that happening more often as you got older in school or in athletics or anything that you did?
2: Yeah, I can remember other instances. You know, I remember hearing like around high school age, like, A lot of um, women can't drive jokes Mm. or um, like that's another one that really stands out. And 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 I know there were other instances that I can't remember offhand because every single time you have an experience like that, you know, a big category of people is kind of written off as not being good at something. Those experiences, they're cumulative. Right. Like if you only heard it once or twice in your life, you'd write it off. But if you hear it repeatedly over time about a lot of different things, it starts to have some weight. And so, yes, you know, the football and the the driving, those are two that I remember very clearly. But I know that there were others because those two had such resonance.
0: When you think about women that had that experience, do you think that the majority of women, end up like you where they have powered through that and they said, I am going to make a difference no matter what? Or do you think that there's a fair amount that allow that to define what they do professionally?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question, Mac. And I would say it's probably uh, a both and, which is that I suspect there's a spectrum of I'm powering through it or it's really overtaking me and that most of us kind of end up on different places on that spectrum depending upon the environments that we're in, the support systems we have, uh, the the, uh, personal growth work that we invest in. And so, you know, in my corporate job, I had a lot of imposter syndrome and I had a lot of insecurity for a whole host of reasons. Now I feel very well resourced when it comes to moments where I feel a lot of doubt or uncertainty. I know how to take better care of myself. I know how to reach out to people for support. And so now I feel well equipped to manage it, but I think it'll for for the women listening, it'll depend, you know, where you are in your career and your life and the people that surround you. Uh, that will really play a large role in determining where on that spectrum you land.
0: So I guess I'm thinking about too, um, and obviously I cannot empathize with your situation. I'm not a woman and never have been, and. So if let's say, for example, I am a male boss and I have female employees, what is a way that I could address this without trying to sound like I'm patronizing or I had this woke moment or whatever it is, Mm. which I think would be the responsibility for any boss, regardless of gender. But I'm thinking specifically of men. Is there anything that they can do to crack open the door for a conversation or is that even worth pursuing?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Mac. And I have to say, you know, someone who's experienced with management coaching or leadership coaching might have a a more precise answer to this question. But what comes up for me is how important, you know, when we have, we have our, everyone has their own experience, right? You can't really argue somebody in or out of their own experience, but what is is easy to happen is if if someone we're talking to has an experience that we can't relate to that we haven't had it's very tempting to kind of dismiss that experience or write it off or try to explain it away or in other ways make it fit into our experience and i would say for for men who are you know who are overseeing their employees women employees or people of any gender i would I would urge all of us, like you said, any person in a leadership role to really practice open-minded listening and to resist the temptation to logically uh, explain or make sense of an experience that, like you said, Mac, you maybe just can't make sense of you can't understand it exactly because it's not your experience, but you can still trust the person who's bringing it to you and you know, rather than get defensive, just listen really openly and accept their experience for exactly what they say it is.
0: Yeah, I think it would probably be shocking. I you know, I can remember years ago when I was in the Navy, I was teaching a course that it was mandatory training for everybody. It was uh, called Navy Rights and Responsibilities. And part of that was a module on sexual harassment prevention. So the Navy, unfortunately, mm-hmm. helped put sexual harassment on the map with Tailhook back in 1991. And, you know, I had been in the Navy from 83 and then I got out in 80, uh, 99, but I had a training partner who was a female sailor. And so I'd go through the billion PowerPoint slides. You had it, blah, 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 go through it. And then, <laughs> and then she shared a story and I thought, I almost thought she was making it up. I thought, I can't believe that actually mm. happened in the Navy. And yet it did. And then other people would chime in. So I think bottom line here is that you've got to make the effort to realize there's a, I'm speaking only to men because I can speak to men here that your viewpoint is probably not the only one and take some time to attempt at least to see it through the eyes of somebody else. Now in that perfect world, every employee would have a seat at the table. Everybody would have equal opportunity and access. We know that that's not the world of work that we live in. It's it's different than that. So that said, Eva, Let's talk specifically now about women in the workplace. And we'll look primarily at the role of HR professionals. That's the audience listening today. But talk to me about thought leadership. It's not the guru on the stage. You're making the case mm. that all of us could be a thought leader, right?
2: Yeah, I'm glad, I like the way you set up that question because you're right, Mac. You know, when we think thought leader, we might immediately think of Brene Brown or Oprah Winfrey or Gary Vee or Simon Sinek or somebody who's, you know, a multi-time TED talker, have books out, you know, really, really well known by a large audience. And yes, that person is a thought leader for sure. But that is a very tiny fraction of thought leaders at large. And what I think can be helpful is to, to think of making, of identifying yourself as a local thought leader or a local expert in locally, meaning your field, your company, it could be your geographical area. But you know very few effective thought leaders reach that level of fame and recognition and that's that doesn't make those of us who are more local any less effective in our work and the impact we can have on our communities
0: okay so all of us have a chance to be a thought leader not all of us are going to write yes. books and make tons of money up on the stage okay good so there's right. some hope for me then that's good thank goodness for that <laughs> <laughs> okay so a thought leader then is a respected person because they know a lot about a certain thing then, right? Is that kind of how you yes, would say a thought leader? And. Okay.
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, a thought leader is yes, they have this deep expertise. And and I want to, you know, qualify what I mean by expertise because sometimes when we think of deep expertise, we think, oh, well I've got to have a PhD or I've got to be, you know, several decades into my career when I talk about expertise, I I mean, every one of us is an expert in our experience. And that is exactly the starting place of an effective thought leader, right? Like, what makes a thought leader is not just their expertise, but what they do with their expertise, how they share it with others, the materials that they create, to educate or train or influence and inspire others. And like you said, Mac, that doesn't have to be, you know, books or TEDx talks or TED talks. That can be a really targeted um, email list that you build about your industry where you offer a very uh, focused and precise set of insights to your list, say, or it could be a blog that you start, or it could be a podcast that you start. There are a lot of different formats that thought leadership can take, but what's important is that you're using, I mean, just think about the breakdown of these two words, right? Like you're using your thoughts, what you know really well, and you're turning those into materials that can lead people to take action, to think in a new way, to try a new process or tactic or um, approach or perspective. And so I think maybe the key thing to that I'm thinking about now when it comes to thought leadership is is action, right? Like a thought leader takes committed, consistent action to share their ideas with the world, even if it's, you know, a a small, quote unquote, small world of your local, you know, your local expertise, whatever that means for you.
0: What's your response to someone that says, well, I don't know anything. Um, I don't have any expertise. I'm just a worker bee. Do you ever hear that?
2: Yeah, I think that My answer to that is twofold. Like, One is not everyone is drawn to thought leadership. Like, Some of us just want to kind of clock in and clock out because our passion or our interest might not lie in our job. And that's totally valid. Thought leadership's not for everybody and it's not something you need to force. But I find that a lot of us are here because we're drawn to make a difference. We're drawn to make an impact. We're very creative, even if our creativity might feel stifled sometimes. And so, for those folks, I would challenge them to when they say, "Oh, I'm not an expert. I don't. I just kind of show up and whatever," I would ch- I would challenge that um, assumption that they're making about themselves because they have they've been alive for however long they've been alive. They've learned what they've learned. They read things. They have conversations. They've had experiences that they've learned from. All of those are a starting point that can help others, you know, maybe avoid some mistakes that you made or navigate through a difficult situation more easily and more gracefully or bring more compassion to whatever they're doing. It could be a whole host of things. But I think that saying I don't know anything, I'm not an expert, you know, partly that is, you know, is some, probably some ingrained imposter syndrome, which can be worked through. But I think also part of it's a little bit of a cop out where people are like, "eh, I don't want to think too hard about it. That's, that sounds like a lot of work. And again, that's a valid if thought leadership is not appealing to you. But if it is, you know, if you know you've got some things to say and some wisdom that could help people, then um, I would ask you to probe a little more deeply.
0: It seems like that would be somebody that heard you throw like a girl and just internalize that. And that became the maybe that's the barrier. I don't know, because you. I guess you could have gone there- that path too, huh?
2: I definitely think you're onto something, Mac. And, you know, we get get bombarded with messages all the time. Like some of us have this crystal clear memory, like I do, of a neighborhood kid saying something. But in addition to that, you know, there's messages from media. There might be different expectations from our parents or extended family, the way our teachers treat us. There are many, many, many ways that we can get these subtle or not so subtle messages about what we should be and how we should act. And, and that is a lot to overcome in terms of a barrier to really connecting with the insight and the expertise that you have.
0: You mentioned a word that I've heard a few times now, and that's imposter syndrome. And I've only heard that in the context of women. So tell mm-hmm. me what your definition of that is. What is it? Where does it come from? And more importantly, how can we address it?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a concept that I think is starting to see the light of day a lot in um, gender equity work, racial equity work, uh, leadership and management training, a lot of professional development work. And um, I, I think women do tend to suffer from it, but I think people of all genders suffer from it. In fact, I had a, um, a client, she she gave a TEDx talk and she was chatting with some gentlemen who had also given TEDx talks Uh they were two men of color and they expressed themselves that they you know felt some imposter syndrome before their talk, that they wondered if they deserved to be there. And so when you when you live in an environment which all of us do, where certain identities are considered to be, you know, more capable or more deserving of success than others, I think imposter syndrome is an inevitable result of that. And I also sometimes call it uh, qualification itis where you feel like you're perpetually never qualified enough, you know, you don't have enough degrees, you haven't read enough books, haven't done have enough experience, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And so it's this, it's this feeling of, you know, I don't belong here. I think that's what it boils down to imposter syndrome boils down to this feeling that's, that's pretty familiar to you that I don't belong here. I don't deserve this. I'm not enough for this. And it's a very, I mean, it's a very tender, you know, it kind of hurts my heart when I really think about what's, what's, what underlies, you know, these kind of catchy two words of imposter syndrome. And so when it comes to, I mean, overcoming it, I think that's a lifelong journey for all of us, right? And like I was saying before, there's a spectrum where you might feel really confident as a mother, or as a parent, or as um, a member of your family, and you might feel very not confident, and, you know, not good enough in your job. Or, you know, there, there will be different areas of your life where your confidence and, and any imposter syndrome you experience will show up differently. And I think, gosh, and when it comes to, to combating it, Mac, there's a lot of different things that you could do. I know for myself, um, investing in therapy helped me a good deal. Working with coaches, you know, leadership and business coaches and life coaches, that's helped me a lot having conversations with people to like understand that I'm not alone in this experience, reading articles about the concept of imposter syndrome to, again, help me feel you know like I'm part of a community and that it's not just me. And then the other thing is, um, this is not very glamorous, but practice. Hmm. Practice challenging our comfort zones, doing things that make us feel uncertain and nervous, That is how you build, you know, I'm a weightlifter. And so I use weightlifting a lot as an analogy, but like you have to show up and you have to build the muscles and put in the work. And it feels, it's not very fun to be new at something. You know, it's not very fun to do something that you're not, that you don't know you're good at yet, but by putting in the work and showing up, that's how you, that's how you build the confidence.
0: So if you are looking for a seat at the table, the advice is get busy Getting the qualifications to be there. And then if you're at the table and feel like you don't belong there, this is the internal work that's got to go on. So your suggestion of coaches, possibly therapy, are things to consider. Yeah, that seat is a hard one to get, and then it's pretty darn easy to lose. So once you're there, you better make the most of it, huh?
2: Yeah, and I think you might, you know, when it comes to getting the seat, you you might be qualified enough already, and there could be some systemic barriers in your way. You know, you've mentioned before, like we know we don't live in a meritocracy. We know we don't live in a environment where at work where everyone gets a fair chance. And so there might be some other types of advocacy that need to be done in your workplace to to get that seat at the table. You might not necessarily need to go out and like take more training or read more books first. Um, but when it comes to having the seat at the table and you still, if you still find yourself feeling like a shrinking violet, and just like tongue-tied when it comes to, to sharing your thoughts, then, yeah, I think the internal work is, is a big part of that.
0: Okay. So we've covered what an internal person could do to be more successful by becoming an internal thought leader. Let's shift a little bit now to the person who may be listening saying, you know what, my goal is I want to be an external thought leader. I want to mm-hmm. be the next Brene Brown. I want to be the next Oprah Winfrey. So for somebody like that, yeah, because we're at the beginning of the year, this is where people say, hey, this is the year I'm going to start a business, whatever. What is your advice for them? How do we start this process of not only getting our thoughts that we're going to be leading together, but how do we begin to promote ourselves? What are your recommendations?
2: Yes. Uh, great question. So one really important, and again, maybe the least glamorous answer is you have to do the work. You have to show up. You have to You have to write, or you have to record your podcast or your videos, or you have to practice making the materials that you that are going to help you become known. And so I recommend, you know, to the extent that your schedule and your life allows, like really creating a habit, you know, maybe you're best in the morning, maybe you're best in the evening, maybe it's lunch break where you practice. You practice saying what you think, you practice writing down your ideas and asking yourself questions to develop those ideas further. So that's the first thing is just to start. And you can start very privately. You know, you can start in a journal or a word document. You can start in an anonymous blog that you that you create that you don't use your real name. There are a lot of ways you can start practicing privately if you want to give yourself some, you know, a, a real safe feeling to exper- to experiment. And then, you know, the next step once you're ready to kind of put your toe in the water of more publicity, I highly recommend choosing a social media network that you like Uh, for a lot of professionals. LinkedIn is a good choice and start sharing your thought leadership on that platform. And again, make it something that you do regularly. You can also, you know, if, if social media is not your jam, you could start maybe pitching yourself as a guest on podcasts. You could start pitching yourself to media outlets or as a speaker on panels there are more, you know. There are other ways besides social media that you could start publicly sharing your thought leadership. And one um, additional thing I'd like to add is a, a place where a lot of people get stuck is they say, "Well, I just don't know what to talk about." Like, yes, I'm in HR, but like a lot of people are in HR. How do I really make myself stand out? And that's a question about position and niche to use some like jargon words from marketing. But basically, you know, Brene Brown is a helpful example here because she started her becoming known when she was a shame researcher, Hmm. which is a very, very specific focus. And now of course she's known for, for a great many more things than that, but it's important to remember that she started very narrow focused. And so as you start practicing, you know, privately or publicly, you might not know what that narrow, that narrow slice of the pie for you is yet. That is something you will discover by doing. So again, show up in practice. But Mm -hmm. if you do know, you know, if you find you're in HR, and you're really interested in this very, you know, kind of specific aspect of your job, I would encourage you to really, you know, go deep and explore that aspect. And be, that's a fantastic way to become known as a local expert. And the possibilities beyond that, once you become known for something narrow, your options to expand and become known for something greater are, are quite, you know, they're, they're open to you.
0: This is probably a hard question to answer, but is there a typical timeline that somebody goes from like the day the light bulb goes off over their head to they are a major influencer? Is it a, a fast journey? Hmm. What's your experience been?
2: That's a really good question. I, I, this is like the most annoying kind of marketing answer, but it always depends, right? It Mm -hmm. depends. It depends. It depends. I mean, I think like to go back to Brene Brown, I think, you know, her first book might've come out in the early 2000s. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, Oprah's career started back in the eighties. It's, it's really, it's hard to pin down a timeline, but I think a useful analogy is, um, investing like like um, investing in your retirement or, or investing your money which is that you know you show up you add money over time again and again and again and you over time build this incredible asset for yourself and your family but it's only possible because you do it for a long time very consistently and that is a helpful way to look at your thought leadership journey that this is something you're investing in over time to pay you dividends in the long term. And the other thing I would say is just to manage your expectations as you go in, right? Because if you expect, if your expectation is I'm going to be the next Brene Brown, you're going to be setting yourself up for a lot of stress and anxiety. I would, not that I want to encourage anyone to think small, but I would just think, about the what you have control over, which is your input. right? Like you can't control the outcome, but you can control how often you produce thought leadership, how you share it with the greater world. If you focus on your input, I think the outcomes will often exceed your expectations, but at least you can meet your own expectations when they have to do with the work that you're putting in rather than a specific result that you think you should get.
0: So consistency is gonna be the key here then, right?
2: Oh, yes. That is the word of the day. Yes, Mac.
0: Good. Well, Eva, for somebody who's listening today and says, you know what? I want to start this journey. Uh, I may be wanting to be an internal thought leader, but hearing her talk about Brene Brown and me thinking that could be me, uh, that sounds good too. How can our audience who's listening now reach out to you to have you help them through this journey?
2: Yeah, well, gosh, first I would say welcome to the journey. I mean, you're in great company. There are so many of us doing this and really challenging ourselves and supporting each other. It's an exciting journey to be on. The second thing I'd say is you can find me on LinkedIn, you know, Eva Janata, two N's, two T's in my last name. I think I'm the only person with my name on the whole network. So if (laughs) LinkedIn is where you like to hang out, that is also where I like to hang out. And I'd love to be connected with you. Just let me know in the when you connect with me that you found me on Max Podcast. And then finally, you can go to 5magneticpillars.com. That is the number five, and magnetic pillars is spelled out. And I have a short free email course there about the five pillars of magnetic thought leadership content. So this is five attributes that you can hone in your thought leadership, which really help it appeal to people, persuade people, and draw an audience to you.
0: Okay, that's great. Well, Eva, thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. If you're listening here today, please take her up on that offer. That is 5magneticpillars.com. I guess we could also go to your website, simplyputstrategies.com, too. Is that still valid?
2: You sure can. Yeah, yes. I'm looking,
0: at, I'm looking at the picture of you like the uh, Rosie the Riveter. Obviously, you go to the gym, huh? Yes,
2: I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I had there was a a, a bright yellow brick wall and I thought I know exactly what kind of picture I want to take in front of this wall.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. Well, Eva, again, thank you for spending time with us today. And uh, if you're listening, please check uh, Eva out on LinkedIn or on her website. Uh, I think it would be a very wise decision. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And, as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.